0: morning everybody let's pray together father we thank you so much for the grace that you give us in the lord jesus christ that we have done nothing to earn or merit your favor we know that we feel that we recognize that in our own lives and yet you are gracious and you're kind and you're generous and you're merciful and we worship you for that please extend your grace to us now as we look at your word help to grow and change us, we pray by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Two men had been business partners for 20 years when they met one Sunday morning for breakfast. And as they made their way through breakfast and conversed, they came to the close of their time together. And the first man said to the second, Where are you going this morning? The second man looked at him and said, Well, I'm going to go play golf what about you you want to join me and the first man sort of sheepishly and rather apologetic responded no I don't think so I'm going to go to church this morning and the other man said well why don't you give up all that church stuff the first guy said well what do you mean he said we've been business partners for 20 years We've been on business trips around the world. We've worked together. We've attended board meetings together. We had lunch together regularly. In all the years that I've known you, you've never once asked me anything about church or to go to church with you. You've never invited me. You've never really talked about your beliefs in God. And if that's the case, therefore how well I know you after 20 years, well, clearly it's not that important to you. So why don't you just give up all that church stuff? And the first man went away ashamed. I wonder what your friends or coworkers would think about your beliefs about God and how important or unimportant it is to you based on how you interact with them on a regular basis. Today we are concluding our series that we've been going through for the past month called Urgent. Immediate action required. And we've identified in this region of the country, in this region of Northeast Ohio, that at least 54% of the people don't know the core of the gospel message that Jesus Christ forgives sinners by his grace and restores them into a relationship with God for now and all eternity simply through faith. We've been confronted with the fact that many of us have lived a long time as Christians. And we are like the Christian who is mentioned above, that we go about our days or our weeks or our months and we don't actually talk about or display the faith that we believe, that we've been faithful church members, we've loved the growth that we've had in the Lord Jesus, but we haven't been sharing the gospel with those who are in our different spheres of influence. But as we've looked at the scriptures together over the last couple of weeks, we've seen what God wants That God has this disposition of loving kindness toward people and wants all people to be saved. We've seen what he wants of us. That we are referred to as Christians, as the ambassadors of God. As if we're his own mouthpiece. Him making his appeal through us. Reconciling the world to himself. We've also seen what it means to be broken for your place and broken for the people of your place and how so many of us for a long time have been indifferent or apathetic toward the eternal spiritual state of those that we've come in contact with but that Jesus himself weeps for the lost and longs for their salvation and he calls us to invest into our community to dig deep roots, to engage with friends and neighbors to build relationships because we know the consequences. Even if they don't know the consequences, we do. And that compels us to share the gospel. I mean, really what we've been talking about together over the last month or so is a completely different way of living. It's not an evangelistic activity that's attached to our life as we're used to functioning. We're talking about a completely different way of living. To look at people through spiritual eyes all the time. That if the God of heaven is sovereign over all of his creation, if he sees all and knows all and can do all, then we don't have this weird dichotomy of the physical realm and the spiritual realm, but that these things come together. And that as Christians... We're called to look at things through spiritual eyes and look at people through spiritual realities. This is a very different lifestyle than the world would have you to live. This is a very different lifestyle than the message of sort of false tolerance would have you believe. This is a different lifestyle than even many Christians currently live. And yet, at the end of the day, if your identity, if part of the core of who you are as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ is to be an ambassador for God, then if you are a Christian who is not sharing your faith in some way, shape, or capacity, then you are missing out big time. G. Campbell Morgan once said, to call a man evangelical who is not evangelistic is an utter contradiction. So over the past week, couple weeks together, we've been painting a picture, haven't we? We've been painting a picture of why you should make this lifestyle shift and see yourself in this new identity as an ambassador of God. And it's rested heavy with some of us. I've listened to your conversations. I have heard some of the things that you've said to me. It's, for some of us, it's resonated very deeply. For others of us, it's created a sense of excitement about maybe what God is doing in our midst. And all of that is leading up to today. Because today is the day that we take what we've heard and it's time to make a commitment. There's a big difference between thinking about evangelism and actually doing it. There's a big difference between moved intellectually or in our heart or even in our emotions, being moved by the things of God and the weight of eternal significance and the hope that's found in the gospel and the despair that is found in hell. There's a big difference about being moved to tears about those things and actually doing something with what you've heard and what you've experienced and what you've thought, and what you feel. And so we need, we need as a church family to make a commitment. And to be honest, it's a commitment that we should have made a long time ago. It's a commitment that Jesus himself asks all of his followers to make. And we see this illustrated for us in Luke chapter 10. So I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me. Grab a Bible. Please turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is found on page 868 of the Pew Bible. We'll read verses 1 through 24 together. Luke 10, starting at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if it is not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and for that town. Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, sends out more of his followers into the work of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And in Luke 24, or Luke chapter 10, excuse me, we see a variety of dynamics, and, and we won't be able to touch all of them a great deal because of the length of the text, but we see very plainly that he begins by telling them something that we, many of us Christians, have heard again and again and again in verse two. He says, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into that harvest the harvest is plentiful and jesus can say this because god works both sides of the equation i wonder if you feel like the harvest is plentiful we've been talking over the last number of weeks together about the call of the christian to engage in gospel witness and I certainly hope you've been praying for three. We have these cards. They're still in the pews, I believe, there. Opportunity for you to pray specifically for three people that God has placed in your sphere of influence, that they would come to know the Lord and that God would even use you in sharing the gospel with them. But I wonder, as you think about those people, friends, neighbors, coworkers, do you feel like the harvest is plentiful? I'd reckon that probably many of us don't. One of the biggest obstacles to our Christian witness is a lack of accurate perception, or dare we even say a lack of faith. Many of us don't share the good news about Jesus because we don't see or don't trust that God is actually at work in the situation and the lives of people around us. But here he looks at these 72 followers of his, who are going to go out from place to place, engage with a variety of people, and he's saying to them, and by extension to us, that God is at work all around us. That as we said a moment ago, that the King of kings and Lord of lords, who knows all and sees all and works actively in the world, is constantly at work to accomplish his purposes. And so, We go through life, and every time we meet somebody, we look at them through spiritual eyes, and we begin to engage, sensing carefully what the Lord is doing. Now, in my position, I get to experience this probably more than a lot of people, and I recognize that, and it's one of the great privileges of being a pastor, when I can teach people or preach a sermon, and then somebody comes up afterward and said, pastor, you have no idea how terrible my week was, but how life-giving the scriptures were to me this morning. God was working in them, in their circumstances, and through the teaching of his word to encourage them at the very same time. Or how uh, occasionally someone comes up to me and say, pastor, you'll never guess what I've been thinking about lately. And when you said this this morning, which was completely unrelated to my main point of the sermon, God changed my mind. And I look at that very differently. But these things happen not just for people in teaching types of ministries. These things happen to people in all types of interactions and conversations, I can't believe you said that to me. I can't believe you encouraged that to me. I can't believe that we're talking about this thing because I was just thinking about that not that long ago. God himself is working both sides of the equation. And Jesus brings it to this very point in verse 23, or 22, excuse me. We can summarize verse 22 by saying that the son of God reveals the father of God, the father, God the father, to people. It says this, all things, all oh, the disciples have gone out. They've engaged, they've talked, they've experienced good things, they've experienced bad things. He brings them back together and he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him the son of god reveals god the father to those people who hear the gospel and we know that the work of the spirit is active in that as well from other points of scripture so god's working both sides of the equation god is working through the ones who are ambassadors second corinthians chapter 5 we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Christian is, by way of Paul's example, an ambassador for God, as if God makes his appeal through us, it says. And yet at the very same time, God is the one who's doing the work in the person who hears as well. He makes his appeal through the speaker. He causes a receptivity or even allows a rejection in the life of the listener. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And this is why Jesus can come to his disciples in Luke chapter 10. And the biggest surprise of the text that that is maybe lost on us is that they are looking at the situation around them and saying, it does not feel like the harvest is plentiful. That town over there is wicked. That town over there is a bunch of Jews ensconced in their particular set of beliefs. Uh, I've been engaging with my friends or my neighbors for some amount of time, and there's nothing in this that looks like the harvest is plentiful. There's nothing in this that feels like the harvest is plentiful, but God is working. And that's the same dynamic that holds true today. So often we're discouraged from sharing in the work of the gospel because we look around and we say, well, it doesn't look like the harvest is plentiful. And it doesn't feel like the harvest is plentiful. But God is constantly working. He has been working through the ages that in every generation, to varying degrees, he causes a harvest of souls that he brings back to himself for the sake of his glory and eternal relationship. The question is, do you believe him? Do you have faith that he's actually working? Because as we've talked about, His disposition toward the lost is not inclined toward judgment. And for what God wants or dispositionally enjoys people being saved. Then every man and woman and child in our region needs to hear the gospel. Needs to know that God loves them. Needs to see a plan for eternity and have the opportunity to accept or reject Jesus Christ. We see in verse 3 that Jesus sends his followers. These 72 are not just a select evangelistic SWAT team. These are the people who have just been faithfully following him for some amount of time. He f- sends his followers. He sends you <laughs> into the work of reaping the harvest. You, you're the plan, (laughs) plain old you. No bells or whistles, no specific or unique uniform, just you. And some of us might say, well, I'm not that articulate or I'm not that type of person Or, I didn't go to school for this. Or, I'm not one of the big guns. I don't know if I can do it. Leighton Ford, the evangelist, tells of a story when he was speaking at an open air crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Billy Graham was set to speak the next night. And Billy Graham arrived a day early, and so he decided to attend uh, the open air crusade campaign and he entered into the outdoor area in the back and he wore a baseball cap and some sunglasses and he sat there and he watched and he listened and as he watched and he listened he decided that he was going to engage in some personal evangelism and so he was looking at the elderly gentleman in front of him who was keenly interested in everything that the evangelist Leighton Ford had to say and as they began to talk uh, the, the the time for A response had come. Leighton Ford had shared the gospel clearly. He asked people to make a profession of faith. and, And Billy Graham tapped this older gentleman on the shoulder and he said, Excuse me, sir, would you like to put your faith in Christ today? I'd be happy to walk down front with you so that you're not alone. And the old man looked at him and kind of eyed him up and down a little bit. And he said, Nah. I think I'll wait till tomorrow until the big gun comes. Layton <laughs> Ford goes on to say that Billy and I have had several good chuckles over that incident, but unfortunately it underlines that in the minds of many people that the evangelistic task is only for big guns and not for little shots. But friends, I wanna tell you, if you are here today And if you think that evangelism is reliant upon your persuasive skills, then you will always wait for someone who's more articulate than you to actually share the gospel. If you think that Evangelism or success in evangelism is based on your ability to defend the faith in every specific biblical nuance, then you will always wait for someone who is more learned than you to share the gospel. If you think that evangelism and success in evangelism is somehow contingent upon your successful or whimsical personality, then you will always wait for a big gun to come along and share the gospel. But if you think that the work of evangelism is based on the power of God, then you will engage. Paul emphasizes this reality in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that it's not persuasive speech, it's not personality it's not articulation that it is surely the power of God through the gospel of Jesus that saves people as he says when I came to you brothers I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. I wonder if you've ever been in an evangelistic situation where you felt weak, afraid, and trembling. I know I have. If I open my mouth right now, I don't know how this person is going to react, and I don't know what is going to happen. Paul himself experiences that reality. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God works both sides of the equation. And so one point of application is just very simply, know the gospel and trust that God does the work through the gospel. Can you just very practically articulate the basic outline of the good news of Jesus, that we sin as humans, that our sin separates us and alienates us from God, that God loves us even despite our sinful state and as a result of his love, he sends a way for us to be back in relationship with him, his perfect son who sacrifices himself to pay the penalty for our sin and to restore us to relationship with God. And that is access through faith and faith alone. And when that happens, everything changes. You're forgiven. Your status is different. You have a new life now. You have an eternal destiny to be with the Father himself. Can you you say that clearly, succinctly? Maybe you need to write it down just on a piece of paper to codify your thoughts. Likewise, another application we would say is that because we know that in our time that people particularly don't respond to um, just sort of come into the middle of Canfield and listen plainly to whoever's speaking on the Village Green that day, that often the ability to speak truth and the opportunity to speak truth comes in the form of relationship, and that one of the most powerful ways that you can share a relationship with somebody else is just by sharing of yourself, of your personal experiences, and of your testimony. I wonder if you could just clearly say your testimony of how you came to faith in Jesus. It sounds elementary, but if, if you haven't actually thought through how to say it, then probably you're gonna get in the moment of having the opportunity and you're gonna say, oh, I don't, I don't really know what I'm gonna say next. So if you can't clearly articulate how you came to faith in Jesus, I'd, I'd say one of two things is happening. <laughs> Number one, maybe you haven't come to faith in Jesus. Or number two, that you just need to spend a little bit of time thinking carefully of how to articulate it. And I would encourage you to write it down, one to two pages, and maybe even just do it in three simple sections. This was my life before I came to faith in Christ. This is how I came to understand my sin and my need for a savior and how I put my belief in Jesus. And number three, this is what my life means now as a result. A simple articulation of God's work in your life, the gospel. And Jesus tells these disciples as they go out that there's going to be resistance. There's no doubt. There's a reason why Paul has fear and trembling. There's a reason why the disciples themselves experience resistance. He sends them out as sheep among wolves, it says. Why? Because this is not a message that many in the world want to hear. And yet, he compels them to continue to act in faith, particularly because he's the one who's working out the success rate. Proverbs 10.5 is um, a great proverb about work and laziness, and it applies even uniquely, I think, to this message about the harvest. It says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son. But he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. May we not be called disgraceful children while Jesus says it is the time of the harvest. God works out both sides of the equation. And so we can be confident in evangelistic harvest. God works both sides of the equation so we can be confident in the evangelistic harvest. If you look at your text with me in verses 5 through 12, we'll move quickly here. We see that God empowers his people to do great things as they're proclaiming. He tells them to heal the sick in these villages and as they're speaking. And they come back eventually and they talk about how they uh, had authority even over the demons. How the Holy Spirit does these things. And again, some will reject them and others will accept the message how in verses 13 through 16 that there are eternal results and consequences of these things, that this is not just some exercise in relational interaction, but that the very gates of hell are at stake. And so when we think about that and when we remember what we talked about last week and the consequence of hell, that this mission of these people and of us it's something of eternal significance. And he encourages them in this because he knows it's easy to lose sight, isn't it? And so when we receive a little bit of resistance, to feel personally rejected. And so Jesus says in verse 16, anyone who hears you, hears me. And anyone who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I wonder if you've experienced rejection either by being a Christian or by actively sharing the gospel. Some of you have experienced rejection in your families because you choose to live differently as a result of what you know about the Lord. Some of you have received rejection from friends or colleagues. I remember one time, I can't remember the person, that's probably a mercy, I remember one time talking to somebody about the things of the Lord, and as we were talking, them literally turning their back on me as pronounced as they could and walking away. I was trying to be nice and kind and even whimsical to them, and yet the second that it moved towards something of spiritual significance, the relationship was over. You will experience that type of rejection. I I can think of uh, times on an airplane having spiritual conversation uh, in some of the travels that we've done. And, you know, an airplane is uh, a, a great, one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities or one of the greatest relational curses. I can think of plenty of times being on an airplane when I don't want to talk to somebody. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I was at a conference or doing something and I'll get on the airplane and then sure enough, you sit next to the, the person that really wants to talk for the next four hours. And I figured out the great way to end that conversation. It's usually just to tell them very plainly, um, hi, my name is Nick and I'm a Baptist pastor. And right there, it's pretty much over. <laughs> and if they respond... And get interested, it's either they're a Christian and we can have good Christian fellowship, or they're spiritually interested, and then we can have a great conversation about the gospel. But, you know, on the flip side of that, airplanes are a great blessing because it's a great opportunity to look for what God is doing, to get to know somebody a little bit, and then look for an opportunity to move towards something even more significant. And like it could be a curse for you, it could also be challenging for them because where else are they going to (laughs) go? And when you experience the joy of those even invigorating conversations and those eternal results, there's nothing quite like it. Look at verse 17. The the disciples come back. They returned with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They returned with joy. Why? Because they had experienced the power of God. Because they found great spiritual power. But even more than that, because as people engage with the message of hope and salvation in Jesus, there's nothing quite like that. I wonder how many of you have had the opportunity, how many of you have had the opportunity to lead someone to faith in Christ? Just raise your hand real fast. Look around. now, if you are one of those people, then you know what this, this is joy they're talking about. You know this joy. You know that there is almost no joy on Earth like leading someone to faith in Christ that eternally changes their destiny. That when you come out of a conversation like that, you say, "Whoa! Did you see what God did right there?" That's amazing how he took that person from where they were to where they will be forever. There is no joy like that. And so he reminds them of this very thing in verse 20 as he says to them, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, have joy, give praise to God that your names are written in heaven. And then he goes on to tell them the special privilege that they have as his followers during this specific time in history. Verses 21 to 24 are encouraging for us. Did you know that you live in one of the most privileged times in the history of the world? In the same line as the disciples themselves, verse 23, he turns to them. And says to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that the prophets and the kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. (laughs) And hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. What did they want to see? (laughs) They wanted to see the fulfillment of God's promise as represented in this person of Jesus. What did they want to hear? They wanted to hear the proclamation of good news and salvation for the forgiveness of sinners that the gospel of Jesus proclaims. And they didn't hear it because of their place in history. Now God gave unique grace to them during that time, but for the disciples and for every single person henceforth, we live in a privileged position in history because we get to hear and see and know, not just about Jesus, but Jesus himself. Not just that God is faithful, but to see the manifestation of his faithfulness. Not just that God is loving and forgiving and merciful, but how he loves and forgives and is merciful as more and more and more people come to Christ. He works both sides of the equation. (laughs) He speaks Through the one who articulates the gospel, he works in the heart and the mind and the soul of the one who hears and either accepts or rejects the gospel. And this should encourage us to the task. Roger Sims was hitchhiking his way home on a day that he would never forget. It was May 7th, the day that he was discharged from the army. And as he made his way down the road with his heavy suitcase, he was anxious to take off that army uniform once and for all, and he was flashing the hitchhiking sign to oncoming cars as they were driving by. And as a car approached, he began to lose hope as he saw that it was a shiny, black, brand new Cadillac. But he was pleasantly surprised as the man pulled over and flung the passenger door open and welcomed him in. Going home for keeps, the driver said. Sure am, Roger said, as he flung his suitcase into the back. And he said, well, if you're going to Chicago, you're in luck. I can take you there. And Roger said, I'm not going quite that far, but I really appreciate the ride. You live in Chicago, Roger said to the driver. And the driver said, yes, I do. I have a business there. My name is Hanover. And after talking about many things, Roger, who was a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, apparently successful businessman from Chicago about the gospel, about faith in Jesus. But he kept putting it off. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation. You feel like, man, theres a, I think there's an opportunity here to share the gospel, but I don't know how to get there and so you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and, and, and he got to about 30 minutes left in his trip when he realized I can't put it off any longer otherwise we're not gonna get there and so he cleared his throat and he said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something very important and then he proceeded to explain the way of salvation about God's grace for sinners, about the person of Jesus about reconciliation to God because he loves us. And he ultimately asked Mr. Hanover if he would like to put his faith in Christ as his savior. And to Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac almost immediately pulled over to the side of the road, and he thought for sure at that moment he would be ejected from the car. (laughs) But just the opposite happened. As Hanover bowed his head, confessed his sins, and put his faith in Christ. And then he thanked Roger, and he looked at him with tears in his eyes and he said, "This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me." 5 years went by. Roger was married, he had two children, he had a business of his own. And one day he was taking a business trip to Chicago, and as he was preparing for the trip, he reached into his suitcase and he saw a little white business card that Hanover had given him on that day 5 years earlier. And so he decided that he would look up Hanover Enterprises when he got to Chicago. And as he arrived in the city, he looked up Hanover Enterprises, he went to the office building, he saw the receptionist, and he laid the card down on the desk and asked to see Mr. Hanover. And the receptionist looked at him and told him it would be impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but that he could see Mrs. Hanover. He was a little bit confused by this, but accepted the invitation, and he was ushered back into an office where he saw a keenly dressed 50-ish year old woman with sharp eyes and a sharp disposition. And she asked him, did you know my husband? And Roger said yes. Well, I knew him for a very short time. He actually gave me a ride one day when I was discharged from the military. And she said, well, when was that? Well, he said, I remember the day exactly because that was the day of my discharge. It was May 7th, exactly five years ago. Is there anything special about that day? And Roger hesitated. And he thought, he said, should I tell her about what happened that day <laughs> or should I just exchange pleasantries and move on. And he thought to himself, I'm going to take the plunge. What else do I have to lose at this point? And so he went on to tell her. He said, Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel to your husband. He pulled over to the side of the road. He wept. He prayed to Jesus to forgive him of his sins. He put his faith in Christ on that very day. It was May 7th, five years ago. And immediately the woman broke down crying and started sobbing uncontrollably. And she said, I have been praying for my husband's salvation for years. And he said to her, well, where is he? I want to talk to him. And she said, I have been praying for years that God would save him. But that very day, May 7th, Apparently after he left you out of the car, there was a terrible car crash and he died. And I stopped following God five years ago because of my anguish in my soul that I had prayed and prayed and prayed for my husband to put his faith in Christ and he never did. He never got home. And you see, I thought that God didn't keep his promises. And sobbing uncontrollably, she added, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought that he had not kept his word. God works both sides of the equation in the right time and in the right way. Because God works both sides of the equation, you can be confident in the evangelistic harvest even when it doesn't look like the harvest is plentiful, even when it doesn't feel like the harvest is ripe, God is at work all around you. And so continue to ask him to break you for this place that he's put you in during this season of history. Continue to ask God and even look at a map and look at the maps that we have in the lobby of Northeast Ohio and say, what is the area that God has placed in my sphere of influence that God has me responsible for? Be a church member who says, I don't want to just consume spiritual growth for myself, but that at the very core of my being, I want to live a different type of lifestyle. Turn on the lights of the community of Northeast Ohio through one mechanism alone, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and make a commitment to do it. Don't live, please don't live as a Christian who is moved by the things of God, who's compelled by the things of eternity, who has thought-provoking reactions and emotional interactions and then never do anything about it. (laughs) Be encouraged because God works both sides of the equation and you can be confident in the evangelistic harvest. Will you make that commitment with me? Will you make a commitment to start thinking and looking and living with spiritual eyes? Will you stop looking at evangelism as something that you tack on or even that the big guns do, but start to say, there's only one action plan here, and it's you. (laughs) And if you're not going to do it, nobody else is. And so we need a commitment. And if you are willing to make that commitment with me today, please pray with me now even as we ask for God's help in this great and eternal endeavor. Father, we see that the son chooses to reveal the father to people, that the work of heaven is the work of you, (laughs) that you call us to our part to exercise courage, clarity, confidence in the gospel. And we pray that you would help us to do just that. Lord, we pray that the harvest of souls in Northeast Ohio during the season of our lives would be a great harvest. That many hundreds and thousands even people would come to faith in Jesus. That you would help us to articulate the gospel well. That you would help us to develop uh, relationships with eternal purposes in mind. That you would bring to yourself much glory as the kingdom of God is expanding and as King Jesus sits on his throne. Father, we commit to you to live differently than we have been in this regard. And we pray for your help, for the sake of your glory. Amen.